0: All right, if you would, take your Bible and open to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. What a great morning it's been just to worship the Lord. And part of worshiping is giving thanks and remembering. As you leave this morning, make sure you don't miss the tables out in the lobby. One of my favorite Sundays every year is seeing those tables out there and you see the personalities come through. You see the memories come through. And, and I don't say this lightly, as you go out to those tables, it, it is an act of worship as you remember and give thanks to God and pray for the students. Uh, you see those pictures out there on, on the tables. Every time I see a table like that, a picture like that, I think about my youngest brother. I'm the oldest of three. And when my youngest brother got to be a senior and my mom was preparing his senior picture board she realized she couldn't find a baby picture of him because he was kid number three. You're like, when you get to kid number three, you're just glad you know, they just made it along somewhere, and so there's tons of pictures of me and my other brother, but they got to kid number three, and she was like, I'll just pick a baby picture and put it up there. It'll be totally fine, nobody, nobody will know, that, know the difference, so if you see a baby picture out there on one of those boards, make sure you know what order they fall in birth order for their family because it may not actually be them. It could be a, it could be a sibling uh, out, out there on the board. Couple of things going on here today at Emmaus. Immediately after our service today, we have our Discover Emmaus guest lunch. So several of you are already signed up to be a part of that, but if you're a guest this morning and you would love to have some more information about Emmaus or just hear more about what's going on here at at, at our church, you're not making a long-term commitment to Emmaus by coming to this lunch. This is just a no-obligation free guest information lunch. It'll be right around the corner and in our choir room. Many of you are headed over to the graduate lunch in the gym, and so the Discover Emmaus lunch will stay in, in this building, though. This afternoon, also, there is a prayer and praise service that's gonna be at the Children's Home Campus immediately south of our property. They're expecting seven to 800 people to be there, churches from all over the area, First Baptist Moore, our friends at Eagle Heights, our friends at Southern Hills, First Newcastle, just churches coming to be a part of that, and so people are gonna be parking here on our property and going over there, I'd love for you to be a part of it. It's going to be a great chance to learn more about what's happening next door with our friends there, to hear about ministry and pray together. So know that we've got that going this afternoon. Hope you can come back. Bring bring your family, bring your kids, be a part of that. It'll be a fantastic opportunity. We're going to continue this morning looking at Mark chapter 3, preparing our hearts for the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, thinking about God's work in our lives, what it looks like to follow him completely with our lives. As we get started, I want to ask you a question to get us started. In your life, what is the largest crowd, most number of people you've ever been around at one time? Like trying to think about, you've attended a sporting event. I mean, we live in Oklahoma where 80,000 people go to a football scrimmage uh, in, in the spring, so you can be around some pretty large crowds. Think about the largest crowd you've ever been around. By most estimates, The largest crowd in history happened back in 2013 in India. There's this famous Hindu pilgrimage that takes place every few years. 30 million people attended this pilgrimage. I can't even imagine that. I have no scope for for what that would look like. I know I'd be terrified, as you'll find out, the way I feel about crowds. This might be more interesting to you. The seventh largest gathering in the history of the world by most estimates was the Cubs World Series Parade in 2016. Uh, yeah, okay, so uh, a few claps, a few, a few celebrations on that. It passed on the list Rod Stewart's 1994 concert at Co- Copacabana Beach. Uh, don't admit that you were there in 94 at Rod Stewart's c- concert, but the Cubs Series moved into number seven all time, their parade did, for largest crowds. I don't know how you feel about crowds particularly, I don't feel super comfortable. Look at this picture up here on the screen. When you see that picture, what does it make you feel? Like some of you want to be in the middle of that group and I have to admit I don't understand that. Like I want that picture just looking at it makes me nervous. Like put me as far to the side. My family is infamous for trying to avoid crowds. So growing up, our joke, my dad's joke was we were gonna rent out the theme park. So nobody else would be there when, when we got there during COVID, when the theme park Six Flags was only opening so often, my brother and his family and friends, they drove down there to Six Flags, pulled up and sorry folks, parks closed. Uh, they got there. Nobody was in the parking lot. (laughs) The park wasn't open. They'd driven all the way down there on a day that they were closed during COVID. So they drove all the way back up and drove back down the next day. When you think about crowds and what it is to be around a crowd, being a part of a crowd is not a bad thing. You think about the joy of playing in front of a crowd or being a part of a concert. Crowds can be a great thing because Revelation chapter 7 says that gathered before the throne was a multitude that no one could count. We will be a part of a great crowd one day. That's not a bad thing. But crowds can also draw us away from the Lord. You can be a crowd, part of a crowd and you hide in that crowd and you're not really a part of what's going on. The sermon this morning, I hope, is very straightforward and and very simple to understand. And the sermon this morning is about, am I part of the crowd, or am I part of the committed followers of Jesus? Am I part of the crowd, those who have some interest in Jesus that are kind of on the fringe, or am I part of the core, committed followers of Jesus? That's the question that the verses in the Bible are forcing us to ask this morning. Mark chapter 3 verse seven. It says there that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed. So this is Mark chapter three, verse seven. Jesus withdrew with his disciples away from this confrontation he was having. He went with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed them there. As you're reading through the gospel of Mark, If you haven't been part of this study with us, I've kind of alerted our church family. As you read through Mark, you're looking for three groups of people. You're looking for the religious leaders and those who are opposed to Jesus. You're looking for the crowds. And in Mark's gospel, the crowds are very uncertain about Jesus. So they're kind of interested in what Jesus is doing. They're interested in his ministry. But they never get too close, as we'll find out in just a little bit. And then you have the disciples, and the disciples represent those who are committed to Jesus, and they struggle. When you hear disciple this morning, when you hear committed to Jesus this morning, don't hear perfect. Because a lot of the Gospel of Mark is showing how the disciples messed up. How they stumbled, how they struggled, but they continued to be committed to Jesus. They continued to follow after him. And so you have these religious leaders in Mark chapter 3 who are opposing the way of Jesus, trying to trap him. You have the crowds that just want to see the cool miracles happen. And then you have some people that are becoming followers. And Jesus here is withdrawing for a short time away from the religious leaders. He's backing up. And he's going to spend time with his followers, but the crowds keep coming around him. It says there in the middle of verse 7 going into 8, this great crowd that followed him, they came from Galilee and Judea. Galilee is the northern part of Israel. Judea is the southern part. Jerusalem, the main city where the, the religious leaders would have come from. They came from Ijemea, this area down to the south. They came from beyond the Jordan to the east. This would have been almost a primarily Gentile area across the Jordan to the east and the northeast. And they also came from around Tyre and Sidon, which would have been up to the northwest on the coast. So in these verses, you're beginning to get a picture, a geographic picture, of where all these people are going to come to Jesus. And here's the cool thing about it that doesn't show up in these verses. These are the same places that the gospel is going to go out. So what's happening in your Bible is you see this crowd from all these places is coming to Jesus, and then the good news of Jesus is going to go back out to all of these places with the disciples who begin to follow him. So it's almost like a preview of what's going to happen with the ministry of Jesus. So all these people are coming to him. Verse 9, when the great, or this is middle of verse 8, I guess. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And so he told his disciples in verse 9 to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now if you've got a little bit of social anxiety, this verse is a nightmare. (laughs) Because you think about this reality of a crowd coming in on you so tightly that you feel like you're going to be crushed by them coming in there. And crushed here can have the physical idea of literally being crushed by those who are coming in. But it also has more of just like a a figurative, metaphorical idea. Jesus was feeling overwhelmed by all the people coming around him, knowing that many of these people didn't understand personal space, uh, you may have some friends or coworkers or family members that are like this that you're like, uh, hey, just a half step back would make me feel a lot better uh, about this conversation. Like if you just back up just a little bit, just arm links. Uh, as terrible as COVID was, there's something comforting about that little six foot social distancing. Like let's just keep that reality going uh, for, for a while, this idea of having time. Ton- All these people are crushing in on Jesus. They're coming in because they want to get in on this ministry that he's doing. They want to be healed. It's, It's good reasons, but they don't fully understand what he's about. They want the healing. They want the food. They want the miracles, but they don't truly understand. Look at the next verse. Verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits. So this is kind of like a mystery fourth group in the Gospel of Mark. These unclean spirits, when they saw Jesus, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Okay, the way the Bible is set up here, what these unclean spirits are doing, they are making the confession that we want the crowds to make, that the disciples will make, but the unclean spirits at this point, they understand who Jesus is, even though they don't want to be devoted to him. But they recognize that Jesus is not just about healing people. Jesus has come to drive them out. Jesus has come to destroy sin and death. And the question in our minds are, will the crowds understand that? The demons get it. Will the crowd get it? Verse 20. So we're going to skip some verses and come back to them. Verse 20 of, of this section. It says, when Jesus went home again, so when he went away from the sea and back home, what happened? What happened? the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. He just can't get away from them. (laughs) It's like when you have little kids and you think you've escaped them in the house for a while and then you look down and they're just right there uh, at at your heels again. Jesus can't get away from the crowds. They, They keep coming. And the way this passage is set up, this is one of those famous Mark sandwiches where it will mention something like the crowds and then it will come back to the crowds and it's Mark's way of telling you whatever happens in the middle is really important. So if you were here last week, the illustration we used were the grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I'm very appreciative of all the pictures I got of your grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwiches uh, last week, so you guys came through. You always worry up here if anybody's listening, I don't know if you got anything else, but you definitely got the sandwiches, okay? So uh, uh, the last two nights, I've been leading the Disciple Now youth event at Meadowood Baptist over in Midwest City, and I taught those students the glory of the grilled peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and so they at least went home from Disciple Now with one thing, they can feed themselves in college now because they they are able to, to eat this. The key, though, is that you understand the way this works is it's crowd, disciples, crowd. And what Mark is doing is saying, are you going to be a part of the crowd or are you going to be a part of the disciples? That's the question that's being asked to us here. Now let's talk just for a second about are you part of the crowd? Because I want you to answer no, but, but many of us find ourselves in this situation, find ourselves in this place. What do we learn about the crowds in Mark? Well, they're interested in surface things, they, they don't understand truly who Jesus is and what he's come to do. They, they like the food, <laughs> they like the cool miracles, they like the lights and loud music, they like the you know, being a part of the cool crowd, but they don't truly understand what Jesus is all about, what his ministry is gonna be about. They just kinda live on the surface. And very quickly, as we go through this slide, you should start to see, oh yeah, that reality still exists in our world. In fact, living in a place like Oklahoma, I would submit to you, most people in our area, our state, they're not the religious leaders completely opposed to Jesus. Like, they'll show up to church, they're they're gonna be respectful, but they're also not the disciples fully committed to Jesus. We live in an area where most people fall into this crowd, literally, into this crowd. Surface things, they're fickle, Easily swayed, one day you'll find the crowd going one direction, the next day you'll find the crowd going another direction. They just kind of move around like this group, this group think, the idea that whatever the crowd is thinking, everybody else is going to think. Man, think about the world we live in. Our lives are dominated by political news stations where everything has to be driven to one end or they're dominated by social media that's run by an algorithm designed to tell you what you wanted to see and designed to rile you up. We live in a world that drives everything toward the group based on these political shows and based on the algorithms and social media. And and the thing about being a part of a group is one day you think you're good with the group and then the group changes and go in another direction. There's so little commitment. And if you do one thing wrong that people don't like, they're gonna move on to the next place. So you have people that are focused on the surface. They're dominated by groupthink, and they're very fickle. And then the last thing in Mark, you find the crowds are very passive. They just kind of live out on the fringes. When you were summing up crowds in Mark, they watch and they take. The crowd doesn't participate, doesn't do ministry, isn't involved in what's going on. They mainly just watch and they take. Can I encourage you with everything I have? Don't be a part of a church family where you just sit in a crowd. Because crowd realities come into the church. I'm just gonna be a part of it when it's on the surface and it fits well with me. If they do something I don't like, I'm moving on. I'm very fickle, just kind of whatever's going on. And I'm pretty passive in my involvement. I'm just kind of on the friends just watching and taking. That is not of the Lord. Like when we are committing our lives to him, there's a commitment that goes beyond that. This reality exists, and I wanna say this carefully before I move on, there's a time when you're connecting to a church, you probably do need to be a part of the crowd. Like you're, you're coming off a hard church experience. You're coming off a hard life experience. You're trying to seek out God's will for your life. There, there is a time to be in the background a little bit. There is a time you just need to be with people who are worshiping. So I, I want to be very gentle and pastoral in, in how I say that. But don't stay there. We, we don't stay at that place. We say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be involved. I want to know you more. I want to live for you. So the question is, how do I move from the crowd to the committed? <laughs> how do I move from the crowd to the core? I'm glad you ask. Verse 13. Verse 13. Let's walk through three things about how we move from the crowd to the committed to the core followers of Jesus. Verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him, Those whom he desired, and they came to him. In the Gospels, important things happen on the mountain. When Jesus goes up on the mountain, it's a picture of him doing the work of God in the world. So up on the mountain is not a random statement here. It's a way of saying Jesus is doing the work he came to do as God with us. He's going to act in authority. He's going to call them to come and follow him. Who does he call? Well, you go down to verse 16. And it says, he appointed twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. I should have practiced that ahead of time. I know what it sounds like in Greek, but not English. Uh, Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The first thing we know about moving from crowd to core is that Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. That if you are going to be a part of the followers of Jesus, we experience the call of Jesus in our lives. That he calls us to salvation, that he calls us to serve him, and that we respond in faith. The crowds that exists out on the edges, it's almost as if they don't have names. In fact, in Mark, you're never gonna learn the names of those who are part of the crowd. They're just a number, they're just a group on the side. But those who follow Jesus, he calls them by name. He knows them, he calls them to come to him, to trust him, to be saved, and then to serve him, and they respond with faith. The thing that will make the difference in your life from being part of the crowd to being part of the committed followers of Jesus, is that you experience the call of Jesus in your life. Students, what does this look like for you? Students. Crowd mentality can happen in the youth group, for sure. It can happen easily. It, it happens as well when you're going through this process of, is this my parents' faith, <laughs> or, or is this my faith? have have I experience the call of Jesus in my life, that I know what it is for Jesus to call me to trust him, to repent and turn to him, to give my life to him, and then to serve him, and I respond with faith. When faith, when Christianity is this very general thing that's just kind of part of your life out on the fringe, it'll never make an impact. But when you know that Jesus has called you to salvation, that Jesus has called you to himself, it changes everything. You go back to verse 14. Look at at verse 14. It says there in verse 14 that he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him. Now that reference to Jesus appointing 12, your Old Testament sirens and your mind should just be going crazy at this point because what Jesus is doing in establishing 12 disciples is it's very clear here that he is re creating, in a sense, the people of God. You think about those 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament, the people of God. When Jesus calls 12 disciples, it's just not because he thought 12 was a great number. He is connecting his ministry back to the Old Testament people of God. And he's saying, I'm appointing them to do what? What is your first job as a follower of Jesus? To be with him let that be really, really, really good news to you. That when Jesus calls you to commit your life to him, he is not calling you to be a slave. He's calling you to be a friend. He's calling you to be a disciple. He's calling you to be a part of the family of God. He just doesn't say, come to me because I need to get this work done. He says, come to me and be with me. Disciples focus on being with Jesus no matter what. That you know that he has called you and your greatest desire is just to be with him. Think about a relationship in this life. Think about a relationship with someone where you reach a point in the relationship that you don't have to impress them anymore. (laughs) You don't have to prove anything to them anymore. You don't have to buy anything for them anymore. The greatest joy in your relationship is just being with the person. When a relationship reaches that point, there's this sense of commitment and joy and peace that comes with it. What Jesus is calling us to is worship and allegiance and spending time with him, fellowship with him. As we grow in our faith, it's not just the intellectual part, it's your love for him that grows. It's your desire to be with him in worship. It's your desire to be with the people of God. It's your desire to spend time with him in his word and in prayer. Your greatest calling in this life is to walk with Jesus. That that's what he's called you to do as those who are followers. The crowd out on the outskirts, they don't care if it's Jesus or his long lost cousin Jeremy. Like they, they don't care. Like just give him food, do a miracle, do something cool and they're gonna be a part of it. Those who are committed to him, they wanna be with Jesus because they know that Jesus has come to defeat sin and death and to give life and their greatest joy is to walk with him. So commit your life to Jesus, not Jeremy, okay? Give your life to him, to be with him. Sorry if there's any Jeremys in here. Verse 14. What's the second half of verse 14? He appointed 12 whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and after they are with him, what are they going to do? That he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. First, moving from crowd to core, you're called by Jesus. Second, you wanna be with him. Third, you're gonna go out to proclaim and display Jesus to others. We're called by Jesus to salvation. I I know that he's called me to trust him, to give my life to him. My greatest joy is to love him, to worship him, to be with him, and as a result of that, I'm gonna go out to proclaim and display Jesus. Now in these verses here, it says that they were sent out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And you might say, well I'm not a preacher and I'm terrified of scary movies, so I'm probably good here. No, it's, not, it's not the case. The idea of preaching here is proclaiming the good news. Every person here who follows Jesus can go out of this room to speak good news to other people because of what Jesus has done in your life, because of what Jesus has done in the world. Christians should be known as people who speak good news to others that you go out and speak hope it's incredible what you can do in the world when you go out and you speak with hope and joy and peace and kindness and good news in the world because of what jesus has done in your life and you go out and you speak that good news and then this idea of drawing people away from evil That comes as you serve them and care for them and walk with them through dark, difficult times in their lives and say, I want you to know what it is to come and follow Jesus. And you're going to struggle in that process. Disciples struggle. But the calling that God has given you in your life is to speak the good news of Jesus and to serve others, to proclaim and display Jesus. Students. I know you think a lot about how do I find God's will for my life. Those of you that are juniors and sophomores and thinking about where do I need to go to college, what am I going to do for a job, your greatest calling in life is to be with Jesus and then proclaim and display him to others. That's God's will for your life. The job, the college, the family, we'll work that out along the way. Be with Jesus and proclaim and display him to others. Let's wrap up with this idea. What makes the difference? How do you go from crowd to court? How do you make that transition? I want to give you three quick things that help, that will guide you on this. And graduating seniors, this is the slide that's for you guys. This is the one I made thinking, what would I say to our graduating seniors today? What makes the difference? Number one, live all of life, all for Jesus. We keep using that phrase. It comes from the president of Oklahoma Baptist University. I love the phrase, live all of your life, all for Jesus. Everything you do, is about following Jesus, living for him. Doesn't matter if it's in your job, your family, your sexuality, your hobbies, all of life, all for Jesus. Everything is committed to him. I'm not just out on the crowd, I'm committed to following him in everything that I do. Number two, you need a church, not a crowd or a clique. The thing that will make the difference in following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is to be a part of a church family. People hear the word "core" and they think of a clique, like a group that's it's, it's off to the side, away from everyone else. So you just you go to a college and you go to a church, but you just get caught up in the crowd. You're never a part of what's going on. You need a church. A church will make the difference. A couple of weeks ago, uh, my son Bennett and I we went down, and I was asked to lead the Bible study for the OU baseball team. Uh, which I think I did a good job because we scored 22 runs yesterday against Kansas State. So uh, hoping they'll ask me back after that. But uh, we we were down there doing the chapel for the OU baseball team and down in the dugout, hanging out with some of the guys. And one of their relief pitchers, a guy named Jared Godman, he's the one that kind of puts together Bible studies and FCA for the the baseball team. Incredible guy, came from Las Vegas. And he said when he came from Las Vegas to come to OU and, and play baseball, His dad told him before he left Las Vegas, he said, the most important thing you will do in college is get connected to a church family. So here's a freshman baseball player coming to OU. He gets here, and he gets connected to a church family, and that guy is making an impact on the baseball team for Christ, doing an incredible job. You go to college, you get connected to a church. You get married, you get connected to a church. You have kids, you get connected to a church. You move somewhere new, you get connected to a church. We get caught in the crowd or we get pulled away by a click, it's gonna just ruin your financial, or not your financial your, your faith journey. Probably your financial journey too, but especially your faith journey. We need a crowd. We need a church. I'm tired. We gotta get this going. You need a church, not a crowd or a click. Stick with me. Number three. Did I tell you that as a disciple of Jesus, you make a lot of mistakes along the way? Have we talked about that? We just keep going? Number three, put your faith into action. Don't be stopped by fear or failure, which I've got plenty of going on right now, uh, both. Just continue to live for Jesus in everything you do. God, I want to serve you. I want to be used by you to share your love with other people. Put your faith into action. Students, as you guys go out, your faith in Jesus, that you would use it to love and serve people wherever you go. As followers of Jesus, we have been called out of the crowd and we've been called to a table. This is so beautiful. that we've been called out of this crowd, we've been called to a table as disciples, as friends, as the family of God. And so we come to the table because of what Jesus has done for us. That he died for you, for your sins, in your place of here this morning, and you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here this morning and you've come out of respect for someone's baptism or out of respect for someone graduating, but you're not, a, you're not a Christian, you wouldn't identify as a follower of Jesus. I want you to know this morning that every person on the planet has two problems that they can never overcome on their own, sin and death. It does not matter what you do in your life, we cannot overcome our sin, and every one of us faces the reality of death. But this morning, hear this news, Jesus took care of both of those for you. He died on the cross for your sins, and He rose from the dead to destroy the power of death. And so I'm so thankful. I'm so honored that you're our guest, that you're here this morning because of someone's graduation or baptism, but I want you to know the good news of Jesus. What they want you to know is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus died for you to take your sin and to give you life and life eternal. And so we celebrate that with the Lord's Supper. I love that we had the Lord's Supper on graduates Day as a way of sending you guys out, reminding you what Jesus has done in your life. So we're going to have a chance to do that together here. After we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to stand up and sing a final chorus together. And after that chorus, people are going to be dismissed. If you're here this morning and you need someone to pray for you, if you're here this morning and you have questions about faith, as soon as we sing that final song, we'll be right down here at the front. We want to pray for you. We want to help you answer questions. We want to encourage you however we can. Let me pray for you right now, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper and sing that final song together. Father, thank you so much for your grace. God, you are, you are so kind and patient toward us in ways that we, we don't deserve God, so often we, we stumble our way through life or we stumble over our words or we, just, we, we are faced with uncertainties that we're not sure how to handle in life. And God, you are faithful and you are good. And God, I pray for these students this morning. I pray for every person in this room that they would know that they can live all of their life all for Jesus. God, that they would know the gift of a church family. And that they would put their faith into action, wanting to be with Jesus and live for him in everything they do. And Father, thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And to rise from the dead so that we would have life and life eternal. And God, it's so good that we've been able to gather and remember and celebrate that this morning. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.